Man, all right, Marty and Deb, come on up and give them a hand as they come up this morning. Good morning, good morning. Hand you guys the mic. Um, yeah, right? Uh-oh. This is Marty and Deb Phillips. They've been a part of our church for about a year, about the beginning of the last school year. Um, and I've gotten to know them uh, and gotten to hear their testimony in person and also uh, sitting in our starting point class, which is our membership class. We ask everybody in that class to share their story of coming to faith. And Marty and Deb have a awesome testimony of how God worked in their lives individually in very different ways. And so I asked them to share uh, their testimony of salvation this morning. So Marty, you start off. Tell us a little bit about your faith background growing up and, um, and kind of where, where you were at in your life before God saved you. Uh, well, that's a short answer yeah. <laughs> because uh, I grew up with no faith background. Yeah. I, um, my, uh, I, I grew up Cut it short. A jacked up, broken family, yeah. and uh, and uh, I know my mother had some at least church background because every time I got in trouble as a kid, which was often, <laughs> uh, strike one was a, a swat, strike strike two was got my head shaved, and strike three, my sister and I got dropped off at the curb of Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's <laughs> church, as she, and watched as she drove away, yeah. and uh, so that's probably the first time I heard the gospel was there. Yeah. Um, I grew up uh, a latchkey kid, and uh, I was always in trouble, so I was also a, uh, a target for uh, friends and family of friends to uh, uh, be invited to church to hear the gospel, and um, I can't count how many times I heard the gospel or yeah. even prayed the prayer um, that I thought would save me, and, uh, but my de desires to not be saved were greater. Yeah. So uh, I grew up being pretty independent. Um, I praise God to this day. I had a, uh, getting out of high school, I had a, uh, a judge uh, kind of coach me into the military rather than <laughs> California Youth Authority. And uh, that changed my whole life. Um, gave me some skills and some discipline that I didn't have growing up. But I walked out of there and walked into a, uh, a, a wonderful career with a major aerospace company. And uh, so I was uneducated, but knew how to turn screws on airplanes. And uh, this company sent me to college, gave me all kinds of opportunities. And Ten years into it, I'm the CFO of a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. And uh, I was 32. And uh, thought I had everything I wanted. A beautiful wife, kids, uh, more money uh, than I ever thought we'd ever have. Uh, certainly more power. And... Uh, uh, and, uh, which I, you know, lusted for, and uh, sinfully lusted for, yeah. and, uh, but I was miserable. Yeah. And uh, about two years into that gig, um, uh, you want me to go on to it? Yeah, yeah. On? Okay. Reel me, reel me in. You said 25 minutes, so yeah. you know, try to stretch it out. And uh, how many people said no before we got the call? You yeah. know, that's what I want yeah. to know. Hey, uh, anyhow, um, I was a, uh, alone in a hotel room on a uh, uh, supposed business trip, but I was in the hotel room trying to figure out. The only thing I hadn't changed in my life was uh, my family. And, uh, and this is in Los Angeles, if you're curious. And I thought the next step, honestly, for me was to leave my family. Mm -hmm. And um, that night I went to bed in that room contemplating what to do and how to do it. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night and to this day, it was either a dream or a vision or whatever. All, all I know is 
had Jesus on this side of my bed and some big ugly dude on this side of the bed. And, and Jesus looked at me and he says, time to choose. And uh, I knew what that meant. I mean, I totally wrecked my life. I was an angry, miserable guy, driven for money and power and lust. And when it didn't work out, taking it out of my family. And I just got out of bed and dropped on my knees and uh, submitted my life to Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I, I had no other options at that yeah. point. So, so Deb, tell us uh, a little bit about your background and then that season of your life when Marty came home and told you about the decision that he made. What did that mean to you? <laughs> so I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Uh, if you've ever heard of the show Ozzy and Harriet, you know what I'm talking about. So I grew up in a family, uh, I would call it the Ozzy and Harriet family. My mom and dad are both uh, very hardworking, kind, generous people, but had no faith. Um, I remember going to church a couple of times with my grandmother and then also some uh, neighbors. And uh, the only thing I recall from it was Jesus Loves Me, the, the song. So that was primarily my faith background. I had that. Uh, I knew that working hard, I knew that uh, staying out of trouble, I knew all of those things, uh, going to school, college, whatever, to aspire to do things. That's the only way I could get ahead of my life. So that's what I did. I went to school, I uh, worked hard, and looked forward to having a career. So uh, knowing that that's what I was looking for, I met Bart. And uh, he also had the same goal. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to work hard. He wanted to acquire things. We had a beautiful home. We had cars. We had kids. Uh, but we, again, had no faith. And so in answer to your question, uh, what did I say is I said, well, I'm glad you found church because you certainly needed it. <laughs> uh, because I believed, I didn't understand what God was. I didn't understand what church was going to provide. I just knew that it had to be different. And knowing our life as it had been to that point uh, was a lot of strife a lot of anger, a lot of heartache, and we could not continue that way. And so I was latching on to any hope of change. And so I thought, okay, well, if the church is what it is, great, let's yeah. go. Um, not, <laughs> needless to say, I went screaming and clawing. I didn't really want to go to church. I wanted him to go to church. Yeah. So Marty, so, so God saved you in a hotel room, and then what did that journey begin to look like? Oh, gosh. So I went home the next morning, and I told Deb what happened. I said, uh, hey, I think I got saved. She said, <laughs> her, her literal words were, I'll never forget, she were good. I don't know what that means, but you needed to be saved. <laughs> and uh, so she says, what do you do next? And I said, well, I think I'm supposed to go to a church. And uh, so she says, what do we do? And I said, what anybody would have done in 1984. Yeah. I pulled out the yellow pages, and we flipped through it, yeah. and we, <laughs> And, uh, and, and we pulled out our map from the, uh, from the, uh, from the gas station and, and, yeah, mapped everything out. And we ended up at a wonderful church. And we went that Sunday. So this was a Friday morning. And we went Sunday. And um, I heard music to my ears. And I remember Deb said something about hellfire and brimstone. And, uh, but I went forward. I told the pastor what I had done. And he said, uh, 
hey, I would uh, love to spend some time with you over the next six or eight, 12 weeks. I can't remember what it was. But he goes, there's a price of admission of, of doing that. Because he says, do you know what to do next? I said, I, I have no idea, but I'm all in. Yeah. And uh, he says, great, go, go home and come back next Sunday and look me in the eye. Tell me you told at least three neighbors exactly what you did hmm. this week. Amen. And then we'll put you, uh, we'll start meeting. And I did that. I, I did, every, I've done everything I was told to do. And it just like those eight, 12 weeks, whatever it was with this pastor, just totally radically changed my mm. life. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. And so Deb, as, as Marty's growing in his faith, you're going to church, but where are you at? So I continue to go to church. We actually put our kids in a Christian school. Uh, I was teaching Moana. I was uh, providing the church bulletins. I was doing everything. And everyone thought that I was a Christian. And it, I always say, walks like a duck, duck talks like a duck, or quacks like a duck, must be a duck. Well, in, in my case, that was not true. Um, I was going to church for eight years. I heard the gospel many, many times. Uh, I actually had a woman come up to me one time and say, look me straight in the eye and say, what's your deal? <laughs> Why don't you just accept? And uh, it really shocked me, actually. But um, I knew for me that it had to be my choice. I couldn't do it for anybody else. It had to be a heart change. And uh, it, I'm a slow learner. Uh, I have to process, uh, you know, I acquired knowledge, which was not necessarily uh, the best thing, but that was one way that I could try to make sense and logically think everything through. So it took me eight years um, to become a believer. And believe it or not, I was in my home by myself in a community that we lived in in the mountains of California, 2,500 people, and uh, just... God got a hold of my heart that day, and through a multiple of things that happened that morning, and I accepted the Lord by myself. That, that. Amen. And so, yeah. And so you guys have uh, continued to grow in your faith and serve, and, um, and, and now this season, God has you here. And we are so grateful for you guys. And I wanted them to share their story because... Uh, the Spirit of God did a work in both of their hearts in very different ways. Dramatically in a hotel room um, with a, a vision and dream in the night and, and slow and methodical and eight years of going to church and not quite sure about all this stuff and, until finally the Holy Spirit um, got a hold of Deb's heart and saved her. And so I, I just wanted them to share that because all of our stories look a little bit different. Uh, but the Spirit draws and, and calls us to faith. And so Marty and Deb, I just want to thank you guys for taking a few minutes to share this morning. Love and appreciate you guys. Thank you guys. And there's a lot more to their story than that moment of salvation as there is with all of us. And God has used them. And, and this past year has been a a challenging year in the life of their family and God continues to use them to, to be a light. And even today, uh, just to share their story. The reason I, I wanted them to share is because we're talking about salvation today and we're gonna look at John chapter three, a famous passage of scripture where Jesus just explains what is salvation to this religious leader. 
But before I shared the scripture, I just wanted you to, to hear a story of what salvation looked like in the lives of people. And, and for those of you who have come to a place of faith and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, you have your own story. Uh, but all of our stories look different, but, but there's one thing that's true in all of our stories. The Holy Spirit draws us through his power and we have to make a choice whether we will believe and surrender to Jesus Christ or not. And so, uh, the story takes place in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. His name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one else could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter again into his mother's womb a second time and be born? This story starts with this guy coming to Jesus and, and saying, Jesus, clearly there's something different about you. You're from God. And, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, let me just cut to the chase. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be saved. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot experience the spiritual realities of God's presence in this world and one day in eternity, the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, now wait a minute. I'm old. Are you telling me I have to enter into my mother's womb again? And how is that possible? See, Nicodemus, he, we, we kind of think he's slow in understanding this, but the reality is Nicodemus' understanding of what Jesus said is that, that you got to start from the beginning and do it perfectly this time. That, that Jesus, Nicodemus understands Jesus to say, you need to, if, if you were born again and you could start from scratch, then you could live the right kind of life in order to enter into the kingdom of God. This is what Nicodemus seems to be understanding here. I mean, he's a teacher of Israel. He's a ruler among the Jews. He understands metaphor. He understands this symbolism, but, but he doesn't get what Jesus is talking about. He thinks, do life over, but do it better this next time. And many of us, we wish we could do things over again and do them better. We all look back at seasons of our life with regret and think, man, if I had that to do again, I would do it better. But Jesus is not saying start over and do it better. Jesus is talking about a different kind of birth, not another birth in the flesh, but a new kind of birth that is in the spirit. So he continues in verse five. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus says this rebirth is not just doing life over again, but doing it better. It's, it's a brand new kind of birth. It's a birth of water and of spirit. And he says there's those who, have born, who are born of flesh are in the flesh, and those born of the spirit are in the spirit. There are two different kinds of realities. For each of us in this life, we either live in the flesh or we live in the spirit. We're all born in the flesh, but Jesus is saying we can be born again in 
the spirit. So what's the problem with the flesh? What's the problem with living in the flesh? Well, the apostle Paul gives us more detail on this life in the flesh in Romans chapter eight. He, he gives us this comparison between the flesh and the spirit and Jesus lays it out for Nicodemus in this passage, but we get more detail from Paul in Romans eight. So I wanna read this passage. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, as Marty talked about, right? Power, money, a perfect life. It's what we think about. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And then down a few verses in verse 14, Paul says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Jesus says this new birth that is going to happen is not just the same birth that you had before in the flesh. It's a new birth in the spirit. Because in the flesh, you cannot please God, but the Spirit testifies that we are God's children. In verse five, Jesus uses these two words. He says, you must be born in the water, of water and of spirit. And that's a little bit confusing. Some people have said water is this, that is our natural birth, and then spirit is our spiritual birth. Some people have said water is a picture of baptism and, and spirit is a picture of salvation. But really this statement about being born of water and spirit goes back to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. This is one of the prophets in the Old Testament and he testifies over 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ about this new birth that would happen in the life of God's people. And because Nicodemus, he is a teacher of the law, he should know this prophecy so Jesus is speaking about something that he would understand out of Ezekiel 36. Listen, the similarity here. Ezekiel the prophet is speaking the words of God when he says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. That's being born of water. It's this cleansing that takes place. I will also give you a new heart and put my spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God had a plan for what salvation would look like. And there's two things that take place. We're washed, it's this new birth of water and spirit. And, and Ezekiel tells us that the first thing that takes place is that we're cleansed. This picture of water is a picture of cleansing. And, and part of what takes place at salvation is God wipes away our sins. 
He forgives us of all our sins, past, present, and future. They're wiped away. They are washed in his blood that was shed on the cross. So this born in the water is the cleansing of sin that takes place, but that's not all that takes place. We're also empowered for living through the Spirit. Water and Spirit were cleansed and made right and holy before God, but we're also empowered to live a brand new life that we could never live in the flesh. Because in the flesh, we cannot please God, but now when we come to God in faith in Jesus Christ, we are given his spirit and we are living in the spirit. Now, does that mean we'll live perfectly? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not perfect, but we are not judged by our own merit anymore. We are in the spirit and we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and we are judged on the perfect merit of Jesus Christ. Our sins are washed away and we're given new power through the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He says, the old has passed away and see the new has come. The old being passed away is born of water. Our sins are washed away. But then we're also born of the Spirit. The new has come. We are born of the Spirit to live a new life that we could never live on our own. Salvation is not just about our sins being forgiven. It's also about living a life in submission to God and following his direction. There's another Incredible thing the, in verse 18 of this 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, it says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. There's one more thing that happens at salvation. Our sins are washed away. We are given a clean slate. We're cleansed of our sin. We're given power for living, but we're also reconciled back to God in relationship with him. We are adopted as sons and daughters. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, when we sin, when we're born in sin, because we are all born into sin, that's why we need the Spirit. Even if we were born a hundred times, even if we were reincarnated, as the Eastern religions teach, we would never get it right. <laughs> we would never get it right because we're born in the flesh, born in sin, and we have sin uh, that, that legally separates us from God. God is holy and righteous, and our standing before him is guilty. There is a consequence to our sin. But we also are born spiritually dead. We have no power to do what is really good. Even our best efforts, Scripture says, are they don't compare with the majesty and wonder of God because the good things we do are often motivated for bad reasons <laughs> in the flesh. We were guilty, we were dead, and we were also separated from God. But when we come to him in salvation, our guilt is taken away, we're given new power to live spiritually, and we are adopted as his children. Those three consequences are taken away at salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says you have to be born of water and of spirit. 
So Nicodemus, he comes and says, Jesus, you're clearly from God, but I don't quite get it. And Jesus says, well, you have to be born again, born of water and of spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, is the one who regenerates us or who gives us new birth. He is the one who does the work of salvation in our lives. And verse seven, Jesus tells Nicodemus, we're in John three, verse seven. He says, do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. The spirit is the one who gives us new life or rebirth. And Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus Nicodemus, you're not gonna understand this. It's kind of like the wind. You can't bottle up the wind. You can't make the wind obey your command. You can't make the wind blow in a different direction. You can't see the wind, but it's there. You can experience the reality of the wind. You can feel its presence. You can, you can see it blow trees over. But the wind goes wherever it wants. So it is with the spirit, Jesus tells Nicodemus. The spirit is like the wind. We can't control the spirit. We just have to surrender and submit to the spirit. Jesus is trying to give a human explanation to this spiritual reality. And the truth is, I can't explain all this to you. We have to trust and believe. And maybe you've been trying to figure out God. Maybe you've been trying to figure out why God does things the way he does. Maybe you've been trying to figure out why God has allowed this or why God has allowed that. Maybe you've been trying to, to make sense of God. And I just got to tell you, you can't do it. Because <laughs> God is God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has given him counsel, Scripture says? The Spirit gives new birth, and we must submit to the Spirit. We don't have to understand it for it to be true. We're still accountable to the truth. You don't have to understand the truth in order to be accountable to the truth. When the policeman stops you for speeding, and you say, oh, I didn't know there was a speed limit. He says, I don't care, there is, and you're getting a ticket, right? You don't just get to say, oh, well, I didn't know. We're still accountable to the truth, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't submit to it. So Jesus is explaining, look, the spirit is not under your control. He's like the wind, so it is with the spirit. John 6, verses 63 and 65, a couple chapters over, Jesus is trying to explain again this spiritual reality, speaking to his disciples, and he says, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Remember, flesh versus spirit. In our flesh, we cannot please God. The spirit is the one that gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Deb's testimony was, I, I, I was pretty good. I followed the rules. I did the right things. Marty needed Jesus. I didn't need Jesus. And we might feel that way. 
But our flesh, even if it's really good compared to human standards, doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. There are some among you who do not believe. In this room, there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. But Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one comes to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The Spirit is the one who saves us. Jesus died for us. The Father initiated the work of salvation. We didn't discover him on our own. He's the one who calls us and draws us and he calls us to submit to him. Now, Nicodemus, he still doesn't quite understand this. In verse nine, sorry, I know I'm jumping around a lot. It's a good thing it's on the screen. Back in John chapter three, verse nine, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, he's, a, he's religious, he's smart, he's studied, he's a good guy. But the thing is, you can be religious and still be lost. Nicodemus just didn't understand. Now here's the good news. The end of the Gospels, we see that Nicodemus finally got it. And he submitted and he surrendered and he went with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body down from the cross and to put him in a borrowed tomb because he finally recognized that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. My religious effort isn't gonna do it. All of my smarts aren't gonna do it. But at this point in his life, Nicodemus is religious, good guy, a leader, an exemplary citizen, and still totally lost. Jesus continues in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. Jesus is pointing back to the Old Testament again to this picture where the Israelites were being bit by poisonous snakes and dying and, and, and God said the way to heal them is to put up this bronze serpent and when they look at the bronze serpent, they'll be healed. And Jesus says, the son of man, he's speaking of himself, must be lifted up in the same way. It's a picture of the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus Christ that would come so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then the most famous verse in the entire Bible, for God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This passage is pointing us to the cross, which is central to our salvation. Again, the apostle Paul elaborates on this truth that Jesus taught in the book of Colossians chapter two, verse 14. It says, Jesus erased the certificate of death, debt, with all of its obligations that were against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. 
Jesus accomplished our salvation, the cleansing of our sin, the giving of new life, the reconciliation to God by paying our penalty on the cross. And then he's sent his Holy Spirit who calls us and draws us to himself. But we must believe and surrender. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus continues in verses seven and verse 17. John chapter three, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. But the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light that his work may be shown to be accomplished by God Jesus is trying to make it really clear to Nicodemus Nicodemus you can't do this on your own you're a good guy you're the teacher of Israel you know the Old Testament when Jesus is pointing to these prophecies in Ezekiel and from this story of Moses from Deuteronomy, Nicodemus is like, yeah, 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 I know all that stuff. But Jesus said, you still don't get it, Nicodemus, because you're in the flesh and you need a new birth, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Nicodemus, you, you can't control God. You can't control his spirit. You may not understand this, but the spirit is working and he's calling you to believe. And if you believe, you are not condemned in verse 17, but those who do not believe are condemned already because the fact is we're born condemned. John 3 Verse 36 is the end of the entire chapter and it says, the one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son, notice rejects the son. If we don't believe, it's not just a passive lack of belief, it is a active rejection. The one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This morning, until we understand salvation, then the rest of it's irrelevant. And maybe this morning you don't understand it. And you've been wrestling with God and you've been saying, God, I, I, just, I just need a little bit more information. I just need a little bit more information. I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, I don't understand it. Would you open up my eyes through your spirit? 
Because until the Spirit of God opens your eyes, you're not gonna get it. I don't get it all. But I have surrendered and submitted to the reality of who God is, of who I am in the flesh, in my sin. And I have called on him for salvation. There's another scripture that says, seek the Lord while he may be found. That implies one day it will be too late. I don't know when that day is coming and I don't want to know. You don't either. And so today, surrender, submit to him. Submit to the new birth. Birth not in the flesh because no matter how many times you try, you're never gonna get it right. You know that. We all know that if we're being honest with ourselves. But when we surrender to the spirit, our sins are washed away. We're given power for new life and we are restored, reconciled in relationship with God. So back to the basics. The first thing is this. You must be born again. You must be born again. We're gonna sing a little bit of a song and have a time of response. And in a moment, we're going to observe communion together. The picture of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. This morning, if you have come to a place of faith and trust, in Jesus Christ, the Savior, if you have submitted and surrendered to him as Lord of your life, then I want to invite you to participate in communion with us. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 warns us, whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So believers, before we take the Lord's Supper together in this time of reflection and decision, I just wanna invite you to confess and surrender any areas in your life where you are not in fellowship with God, any areas of unconfessed sin and hardness of heart. This morning, I know there are people in this room who don't know Jesus as Savior. Today could be the day of salvation for you. But you must surrender. The thing about new birth is it, it takes surrender, right? It, it takes dying to yourself, right? If I'm gonna have a, a new life, the old life has to be gone. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. I have been crucified or executed with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live in the flesh. I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. New birth requires surrender. And this morning, maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you've been religious trying to do it on your own. Jesus tells Nicodemus, that won't work, bro. Maybe you've been asking a lot of questions and you're just you, you just say, if I could just get this one question answered, then I would finally surrender. That won't work. The answer may never come. Maybe you've just, you've just been rejecting Christ. It's not about religion. It's not about 
getting question answered. It's just about, I don't wanna, I don't wanna surrender. This morning, there are consequences to our rejection of Christ. Words like wrath and condemnation, we read them in this passage, and I, that's not to be scary or mean. That's because I love you, and I want you to know Jesus as Savior. So stand up with me this morning. We're going to sing and, and pray. Maybe someone needs to come and surrender to Jesus as Savior this morning. I'm going to be standing right down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you, show you how you could know Jesus as Savior today. For some of us, this will just be a time of reflection as we prepare to take the Lord's table together. Maybe you just need to pray, God, open my eyes through your Holy Spirit. I don't understand, but I want to. So open my eyes through your Holy Spirit. Help me to see. God, speak to us. Move in our hearts. Do what only you can do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.